We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into Candlestick Chronicles. I'm Chris Biederman. I'm back. Big shout out to Kyle Madsen for holding down the fort while I was gone on my work trip. Um, Kyle is not here today. Kyle has a scheduling conflict. So we brought back Nick Wagner of ESPN. You know him. He's a friend of the pod, our favorite cast member. Um, He always provides great insight. He's super plugged in. He's one of the smartest people I know. And, uh, you know, there's so many smart people who cover the 49ers regularly. Nick's Nick's way up there with with all of those guys. Um, But we dive into the NFL combine, whether or not it's as important as it's made out to be. Uh, We dive into some of the big questions facing the 49ers. Obviously, Brock Purdy, Trey Lance, all of those things, salary cap stuff. Um, all the off-season machinations we try to dive into here with Nick. So check it out. Blue Liar. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. All right, Nick Wagner, ESPN's NFL Nation reporter covering the 49ers. He's back again, regular guest on the pod. We very much appreciate having him. Nick, what's up, man? How are you doing? I'm I'm always the guy you go to when you're in a pinch. And obviously Kyle is missing, so here I am. And this is this is this is how it works. Yeah, I know how it goes. Yeah, no, I mean, do me a favor and just tone your excitement down to be here a little bit. Like you're at like a, a twelve, we probably need you more like a seven or eight. Just just you know, so the audience is the, the audience isn't like overwhelmed with your enthusiasm for this. Well, they're probably already turned off by the fact that I'm on the podcast again. So I, it's highly, gonna, it's going to be hard hard for me to do that. I highly, <laughs> highly disagree. Um, the NFL Combine is going on right now. Neither you nor I are there, um, and neither is Kyle Shanahan. And I find that interesting. It's the second year in a row Shanahan hasn't gone. The combine's interesting from a few different levels. It sort of speaks to, I think there's just a general oversaturation of of content, and and this goes back to the Senior Bowl too. In that, like, there are a lot of people who are interested in covering the league and who are interested in getting to know prospects and maybe how teams fit. 
Um, but it does feel like from an actual practicality standpoint, from an NFL team's perspective, there might be a little bit of value lost in the combine over these last few years. Do you agree with that? And and where do you find the utility of, of the NFL combine right now? Yeah, I think there's a few things that have happened in recent years that have kind of changed the face of the combine. First of all is, as you point out, kind of that continued um, evolution of the amount of media covering it and the amount of people that they're letting in. And so um, it's hard for anyone to really get anything done like specifically, you know, as reporters anyway. Um, but I think that does affect coaching staffs and, and you know, uh, personnel staffs and things like that where they're going and they're trying to do their jobs and gather information and, and they're, you know, uh, running into these these large groups of reporters at, at every turn. So that's part of it. I think the other part of it is, is the combine is longer now. Uh, you know, it, it used to be a little bit more condensed into like a five-day window. And now it's basically, I think it's a seven or eight-day window where they have media and physicals the first three or four days, and then they start the workouts uh, here at the end of the week, and it goes through Sunday. And so I think that is the other part of it where it's like, boy, if you're a coach, especially if you're a coach who has to hire a bunch of new coaches or is going through significant changes on your coaching staff, uh, is that time better spent? back home, you know, working with your coaches and things like that, where you can get access to all of the information that you need. And I think part of it too is, is we've all learned this and we say this here on a zoom call conveniently, we, we learned so much from the pandemic of what you can get done virtually. And so, you know, I always say, and, and it's true, the most important things that teams get from the combine is medical information, number one, and number two the chance to talk to all these prospects, which they do. They talk to them either formally or informally. Everybody basically talks to them. So it's not interesting news to say, oh, the Niners met with prospects X, Y, and Z. Yeah, everybody did. At some point they're going to this week or at the senior bowl or whatever. So, but the, but I say that to say the coaches can still take part in interviews, um, you know, like Zoom calls and things like that as well. And so I think that there you're seeing more staffs not go because they've discovered their time is better spent, uh, you know, back here or back in whatever city that they're in. Yeah. And it, I, I think it's, you know, it, for from a media perspective, particularly if you're new to it, it can be useful because it's it's one of the rare opportunities to go where a lot of other media people are. And like I've met a lot mm -hmm. of media people who I've read from afar and followed from afar and networked with them at the combine. And then there are also, you know, parties or, you know, certain restaurants and bars where you go to and you'll see a bunch of NFL power brokers. And frankly, like, yeah, it's good networking, but if you, if you are an NFL power broker, like how valuable is that time? If you're spending it partying and drinking and as much as these guys do. Right. And so I think there's an element of like, yeah, maybe we should avoid all of that, avoid the possibility of maybe being seen doing something unseemly. Not that like there is a bunch of unseemly stuff happening, but it's like, you know, go to Indian party and then be hung over and have to try to do your job talking to to prospects and everything like that or stay at home, do everything you need to virtually um, and and, you know, watch tape and and go through your big board and all that stuff like I think one thing that's lost with the combine is, yeah, it's 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 there to provide access to all of these players for teams, but all of these teams have access to these players. Like none of these guys or very few of these guys, if any of them 
are just all of a sudden on these teams' radars, right? Like the Niners have a robust scouting staff, just like every other team in the league. And they have been compiling information on all these guys for years. And so just because a coaching staff isn't at the combine doesn't necessarily mean that they don't have an adequate amount of information. And like Kyle Shanahan didn't go to the combine last year and they drafted Brock Purdy, right? So if like if you're at all concerned about the level of information gathering from the 49ers or any other team that doesn't have their coaching staff in Indianapolis, I would say, you know, it's it's to your point, like with Zoom and everything, it's it's not the biggest deal in the world. And also like another thing you pointed out, which is funny, and I get it because I've been part of that content machine writing, you know, doing it, doing the tracker where you're following every single player that says they've met with the 49ers. It's like, it, no, if you really dug in, you'd probably find 90 to 95% of the players in some form or fashion have had contact with the 49ers either at the combine or leading up to it in the, in the past year or two, because these scouts have such big networks and go visit schools and talk to, you know, everybody they need to talk to if they're really interested in a prospect. And I, and I think that stuff can, can be interesting and can have value in certain situations. Like I think, I think it's interesting to find out like what players take top 30 visits to the teams. Like that can, oh, that yeah. can be, that can be telling. Um, if you're a team that's searching for quarterbacks and you want to, you know, It'd be it's more interesting that you know, let's say you're the Panthers. I'm just throwing out a team that needs a quarterback, and you find out that they had a formal interview at the combine with, you know, Will Levis and Bryce Young and CJ Stroud, but not Anthony Richardson. Like that would be an interesting thing. Like, so there can be value in that kind of stuff, but in terms of like, yeah, I mean, they're gonna have contact. And you know, some a player could be asked, have you met with the 49ers, for example, and say yes. And that meeting could have just been a running back who met with Bobby Turner, who talks to every running back, you know, like, yeah. so if you can delineate a little bit between the formal and informal, maybe it's a little bit more valuable, but overall it, it's really, like you said, um, it's something that every team does. And that's kind of the point of the combine is to have it centrally located so that you can get those meetings. And again, the medical information being the number one thing where you can get everybody there to gather that information in one stop. Yeah, and the and obviously with the way some of these draft picks have gone for the 49ers the last few years, medical information is super important. <laughs> Whether or not they choose to utilize that medical information before making some of these picks is uh, might be a different conversation. But um, Nick, we haven't talked since Steve Wilkes was hired as the defensive coordinator. Um, and one of the interesting things to me when you look at, you know, Robert Sala and D'Amico Ryans, those were guys who didn't really have track records as coordinators or um, or as head coaches. Obviously, Steve Wilkes has been a head coach before, so it's a little bit different in that it's not an up and coming guy. Um, I'm curious as to what you make of the hire, what you think of it and how he fits an infrastructure that seems to be pretty stable that's already here. So first and foremost, I know a lot of people uh, in Carolina who either played for Steve Wilkes or have been around him or work in that organization. And as, as a man, like everyone just there, you don't hear a bad word about him, that he is beloved. His former players all love him. Um, they all believe in him. He's a leader. A lot of the same things you actually hear about D'Amico Ryans, actually, um, and Sala for that matter, um, are things that you hear about Steve Wilkes. So I think that box is, is checked. What's going to be fascinating, a couple things. First, 
Kyle Shanahan, I believe, is a, is a big believer that a defensive coordinator should either have experience coaching linebackers or defensive backs, um, just because they have a better sense of seeing an entire defense and having the understanding of how all 11 pieces need to work together. This is the first time that it's a defensive backs coach, though, it's, it's, or at least someone with that background and not a linebackers coach. So there's something a little bit different there. The other thing is Steve Wilkes, he does run, you know, everyone makes a big deal out of 4-3-3-4. For me, it's more interesting in how are you, uh, how aggressive are you? What are the things that you, what are the buttons that you like to press? Steve Wilkes, his background is a little bit more blitz heavy than what you've seen from 49ers defenses. Now, some of that obviously is determined based on what your D-line is like. If you don't have, you know, stud edge rushers like Nick Bosa, then you're going to dial up. Uh, pressures a little bit more and do things that way. But that's going to be something that I think will be interesting to keep an eye on is, you know, how does he kind of work in that way? Um, but I think the, the the benefit of getting him an additional benefit of, uh, than, other than just an experienced and talented defensive coordinator is as a defensive backs guy, that is a position they're going to have some turnover this year. And they're going to have some, they have young guys that they need to continue to develop at those positions. And so in addition to the guys that they have, uh, coaching defensive backs, having him uh, will, I think, be very helpful in that regard, too. Yeah. So I, I'm curious, like it, it all all signs are pointing to Jimmy Ward probably exiting um, in free agency, leaving, you know, a void at slot corner and certainly at free safety. Um, we don't really know what's going to happen with Deshaun Gibson. He has not been retained just yet. I would imagine he would come back on a one year or uh, at least a short term contract to potentially compete. But in terms of like what the 49ers look at now at free safety and at slot corner um, and maybe, you know, I don't know if this will impact like how they view Emmanuel Mosley, but in terms of personnel, do you think the things they value from a personnel perspective on the back end is going to change with a new defensive coordinator who might be looking at somebody or looking at guys who fit that scheme that, that, in, probably includes more blitzes and more unique coverages? Uh, I don't know that it's going to change a whole lot because I think that, you know, with a guy like Jimmy Ward, they just love that versatility that, that, that he brought. But, you know, it's very telling that Kyle Shanahan, uh, even when I asked him about what they were going to do at defensive coordinator, this is before Steve Wilkes was hired, and he's basically said – if it's not broke, we don't want to, we don't want to fix it. Like we want somebody who's going to, you know, kind of make the pieces that we have here work and uh, kind of build up of what we've already done. And so uh, then John Lynch at the compound this week says something kind of similar, you know, we, we want to make sure that we're just uh, continuing to be a really good defense and not, you know, not fixing something that's not broken. So I don't know that what they're looking for is going to change much. I, I think a lot of it is going to still continue to be, you know, they talk about the off-field stuff, not off-field, but just like the leadership skills. They call it like the spirit, 49ers spirit, whatever it is John Lynch has on his desk. I forget what exactly what they call it, but there's like three things that they're looking for in terms of like what, what a 49er should be, uh, you know, personality-wise. And I don't think anything is going to change in that regard. And I thought they, you know, it's interesting because when Salah first took over, you know, it was always, we want the tall, long corners, right? Richard Sherman was that, you know, Trevor Harris Warder they had it last year would, would fill that, I guess, as well. But they evolved through that, you know. I think you pointed that out multiple times is, you know, Diamador Lenore's of the world and, and Jason Verrett's like, these guys are not long, lanky corners. 
they are more physical, smaller guys. And so um, I think they're just looking more for types of players, like mentality-wise, than they are necessarily measurables at this point because they've got a culture and they've got a system that works and they want guys who fit that more so than maybe just, you know, boxing them into something from a physical standpoint. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Let's move on to Brock Purdy. Um, he hasn't had surgery yet. Uh, it got pushed back from, I think, February 22nd was was the initial target date for surgery in Arizona. Uh, he had a little too much swelling, um, so they're waiting for that to go down. He's meeting with his doctors, I think, next week in Arizona, and they're hoping to, to put him under the knife soon. Um that obviously pushes back his timeline because we we've talked, you know, Kyle Shannon and John Lynch have mentioned six months, six months is, is well into training camp, if not even the start of the regular season. And I, I think it, it begs the question as to like, do they like Brock Purdy so much more than Trey Lance that they would be comfortable starting Brock Purdy with very minimal ramp up to the season? If he's not fully cleared to participate in practice say until the third or fourth week of august like if if he doesn't get a full training camp and he only practices for two weeks do the 49ers hold him in high enough regard and think he played well enough as the season went on to say that's enough that's all we need from brock purdy because we think he's that much better than trey lance or is it going to be something where they say and trey's been getting the first team reps for the last four or five months now um and you know we we think brock's good but we would rather give him more time to ramp it up and we feel good enough about trey to start the season with him starting like where do you think all that falls because it it seems like a a kind of a tough situation to figure out from this standpoint because you know they it seems like brock purdy is very clearly ahead of trey lance in terms of you know all things being equal them being healthy but because Brock Purdy isn't healthy, how do you think they handle that situation when we get to the end of August and 
and you know the first couple weeks of the regular season? Uh, I mean, the, <laughs> coming up with an answer to that question is almost impossible, and I don't know that the Niners know the answer because we don't have all the information yet. And uh, let's just start with the injury and the surgery. You know, he's supposed to meet uh, with the doctor this week, actually, at the end of either today or tomorrow, I believe. Um, and then the, they're hoping to have the surgery in the early part of next week. If that happens, to your point, six months, theoretically six months. Um, there's a couple of things that go into the surgery, too, that we can dive into. First of all, if it's six months, that means that they went in there, everything looked like they were hoping it would look, and he just had to get that repair, that internal brace repair, which they say is six months. Now, the difference in that six months is it's not, oh, he can start throwing after six months. He can start throwing after about in the end of that fourth month at some point and start ramping up from there, which if that's the case, theoretically, he might be able to do some things before the six-month mark in camp. Now, that mean probably not going to get cleared to be full go or whatever, but it means he could do some things. So we don't know exactly when he would be able to start participating at some level, even on a limited basis, because Nick Mullins is the only other quarterback in the NFL who's had this, and he was thrown again at four or five months and, and ready to go. So I think that's why they're leaving a little bit of wiggle room on, oh, it might be in camp or whatever at some point. The other side of that is, if they get in there and the elbow isn't what they hope to see and they have to have what they're calling a hybrid surgery, which is a mix of the repair with the internal brace and the reconstruction, which includes a form of uh, the Tommy John surgery, that's going to add, from my understanding, it adds at least another month. Uh, it would be if they did the hybrid, it would be around a seven month type of situation. And I think that would be a more stringent timeline. And at that point, if that happens, then they're going to have to – not only not only is it become academic and Trey Lance is, is your starter opening week, but then you're going to have to go out and probably make a decent-sized investment in another quarterback of some sort. So that's why I'm saying it's, it's just so hard to sit here and predict that right now. Do I think that if the Niners had their druthers and everything goes exactly like they hope and maybe Brock Purdy's even a little bit ahead of schedule, that he would be the favorite to be the starter? Yes, I do think that. But I don't know that that's trending that way. And I think that they are, in their heart of hearts, optimistic that it's going to be just the repair. But I also think that they are prepared for the potential of it being that hybrid surgery. And if it is that, then it changes the equation a little bit. It changes the math. Um, and then we're having a whole different conversation. So I'm not trying to you know cop out or whatever. It's just no, that I, we, just don't, we just don't have enough information to, to really get that far yet. Yeah, like – Far be it from the 49ers to have any sort of quarterback clarity really at any point. <laughs> um, but I'm I, I wondering, like, so they, the team theoretically before free agency should have an idea of what um, of what the situation is. Like, do you think what what Brock Purdy's elbow looks like is going to determine the size of the investment they make at quarterback? And I know you want to talk about Jimmy Garoppolo. We can talk about him next. But, like, yeah, is it going to be a situation where, like, okay, Brock Purdy just has the repair surgery with the six-month prognosis, and maybe they end up drafting a guy in the sixth or seventh round or picking up an undrafted free agent or whatever, signaling, okay, we think he's going to be back relatively soon. Or if they go and sign, say, Marcus Mariota or Matt Ryan, then we could be like, all right, this this is probably going to be some point, like, November before they feel comfortable throwing him out there in a game. What's so tricky about it, Chris, is 
Yeah, I mean, I do think that that would play a huge part in this is is how long is Purdy out? What kind of investment do we need to make a quarterback? But the other answer that they're not going to have before free agency starts is, how does Trey Lance look? You know, like <laughs> Trey, Lance, Trey Lance is coming off of an injury too. And so, you know, I know John Lynch said this week that, you know, he sees him throwing in, in, out of his office or whatever and, you know, at the Niners facility. But that's not the same as seeing him even in an OTA or a minicamp. So they have, they're going to have so little information that I feel like they almost have to go out and try to find someone uh, that they believe could be a starter if necessary. But that conversation is fascinating to me too, because think of it this way. If you're, if let's say you're one of those guys you just mentioned and you're, and you've come to the realization, Hey, I'm probably gonna have to be a backup somewhere, but what if you have to be a number three? Okay. Then is that less appealing? Does that make it harder to sign a guy like that? Or does that person say, well, those guys are both injured what are the chances they're both going to be healthy and what are the chances they're both going to stay healthy? And if I play, I could have a lot more success in San Francisco, even as the number three, if I get a chance, than I would as a number two in say New York with the giants or something. So it's, it's just completely fascinating because there's so there's so little known, but you have to look at this for, if you're, if you're one of those quarterbacks and say, that's such a great situation, I would have to at least consider it if the money is, about the same. And so I think the Niners are not in a position where I don't think they want to invest a lot of money in another quarterback. And I I don't think they will, but I do wonder if there's a guy who says, man, I need to rehab my value a little bit. And some guys do that by sitting. We saw Mitch Trubisky do that in Buffalo. He didn't even play. And all of a sudden he was kind of a hot commodity last year, a little bit. So I could see a guy coming to San Francisco and say, you know what, if I play, that's a great chance to rehab my value. And if I don't, I might do it too that way, you know? So um, I think it's, I think it's really interesting. And, and, you know, I I look at Matt Ryan, for example, and say, man, like he would be a great fit from, you know, he's, he knows the scheme, you know, maybe there's not a ton left in the tank, but there should be enough that if he has to play, he could come in and do a good job. But is he going to want to do that at this stage in his career? Is he willing to make that sacrifice? And so trying to get in the heads of the the 49ers on this is a little bit easier because we know them and we know how they kind of move. We don't know how all these other quarterbacks are going to move. And there is not going to be, I do think there's going to be a, a good quarterback or two who's, you know, not going to get signed right away as a backup. And there's going to be some options that are better than, you know, a Josh Johnson or somebody like that. So, which is funny. Like this whole thing is funny because you're like, well, yeah, the Niners could potentially use a veteran. Well, who who's available? A guy who's been here for a while, who we've done, the, who we've done this dance before seemingly year after year. Jimmy Garoppolo. You wanted to talk about Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, Kyle Shan or John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan have both indicated that that relationship has likely run its course. But what what did you uh, what did you want to say about Jimmy? I just I just want to make a point here because I, I know I, I get it right. Like there is a level of like 49ers fans who have PTSD about the Jimmy Garoppolo thing. Like I'll believe he's gone when the ink is dry on that contract on a, with another team. And I get it. I do. I totally get it because, <laughs> you know, everyone thought last year he was going to be gone. But I think comparing last year and this year is very different for a couple of reasons. And I, I just want to make a, a couple quick points. One, we already know Jimmy Garoppolo is probably going to get a bigger contract than what the 49ers are willing to pay him. So that alone makes it very unlikely that he would be back. But number two, I think it's really important to just point this out. The reason the 49ers wanted to move on from Jimmy Garoppolo in the first place, back when they got Trey Lance, 
was because he struggled to stay healthy. It was the number one reason. I'm not saying it was the only reason, but it was the number one reason. From there, Jimmy Garoppolo has stayed and gotten hurt in each of the last two years after they did that. If you're the 49ers and you are in a championship window, which I think we all believe they are, this is their opportunity, the window is open for them, and you are saying, even if it's your number three quarterback and your first two guys, you're worried about their injury situations, how could you look everyone in the eyes and hitch your wagon to that person again and say, this is going to be the year he stays healthy? And I really think the 49ers just are, are kind of ready to wipe their hands and wash their hands of that situation. And that doesn't mean another guy they bring couldn't get hurt, but they just you just can't have another season go by the wayside because Jimmy Garoppolo gets hurt. I think it was very telling at locker room cleanout day. Jimmy didn't even talk. Jimmy Correct. just bolted. And the year before, before we even got in there. Yeah. Before the media even got in there the year before, of course, Jimmy gave his tearful, you know, goodbye, faithful. It's been really, you know, it's been great. Love you guys. All that stuff. There was none of that. So I, I, I do think there's an element of that relationship behind the scenes potentially souring and Kyle Shanahan didn't exactly give the warmest endorsement when I think you asked him about Jimmy Garoppolo in the um, (laughs) in the end of season press conference so yeah it is funny because the 49ers could potentially use a veteran quarterback but it doesn't look like it'll be Jimmy Um, yeah and I think people people look at it and say well why wouldn't you bring Jimmy back because he knows the system he's proved that he can have success in it and the the answer is because he can't stay healthy. He just hasn't proved able to do that, whether it's bad luck or whatever you want to call it. He hasn't been able to do that, and you cannot afford to find yourself in a situation again where you're hoping and praying that he stays healthy. That's not a strategy. Well, th- there's also a salary cap element to this. Sure. Right? So, yeah, like, totally, totally. So, so Jimmy, depending, you know, the free agents get overpaid, right? I think it's fair to say Jimmy Garoppolo is going to get based on how he played this last year, which you could argue you, you could put up against any other stretch in his career that it might have been his best string of football yeah. that he played before he got hurt against the Dolphins. So a team like the Raiders, like would it be wild if they gave Jimmy $40 million over two years, right? Like that, that wouldn't be completely insane, right? The 49ers, as of right now, they have $6 million in cap space. And obviously that's going to change because they can restructure some guys. I know this is a subject that um, that you've been diving into on, on your own time a little bit. Um, explain where you think the 49ers are from a cap perspective, because $6 million on its surface doesn't seem like a whole lot, um, but they can create a whole lot more than that, given all the big contracts they can rework. Um, what do you think their mindset is going into free agency with with their cap space in particular? Yeah, I think uh, they're actually, I think, somewhere in the eight or nine range when you factor in rollover from last year, okay. um, at least as we sit here right now. They're not in a terrible spot. They're not They're not crunched for it because they have guys um, that they can restructure fairly easily. I think what's interesting from a 49ers perspective is, is, you know, we've, again, we've observed how they move. We know how they do these things, right? So they're not going to just start restructuring right now so that they can have $30 million in cap space when free agency opens. They do those things. They get the, their ducks in a row. And then if this, then this. If we can get this you know, defensive tackle X on, in the free agent market, 
we're going to, you know, enact this mechanism with player Y to restructure his contract so that we have the space. So they're, so they're not going to just do that. Right. They're not going to just, just have a blanket, like, all right, now we got money to spend. Let's see how it goes. The other part of that is, is they want to restructure guys who are going to be worth what their cap charges are going to be at the time that those hits happen. And so, you know, Eric Armstead is a good example. They've already restructured Eric Armstead before. His salary cap number this year is large. You can look it up. I, I think it's between 23 and 24 million. Something yeah, 23, like a, nine. Yeah, yeah. Basically so, 24. It's a big, that's a big number. So you could theoretically do that again and lower his number this year, but you're going to have to pay the piper at some point. And Eric Armstead, who, you know, dealt with a lot of injuries. I think is still a very good player, but how much longer is he going to do that? Do you want to make him somebody that you're going to lean on uh, later on? I don't know that that's the case. Maybe they will, but I think you're more likely to see it with guys like Fred Warner, who still has a lot of good football in front of him, and I don't think they're going to have any issue um, continuing to kind of keep him around. The one that makes the most sense to me is Christian McCaffrey. Uh, the only the only problem with him is, is that right now it's the sweetest deal in the world. And yes, it's expensive, but he has no guarantees. So for the 49ers, you love that because you got a lot, a lot of flexibility there, and he's obviously had some injury issues and things like that. But I think it makes more sense to do with him because it's kind of a win-win. You know, a lot of these restructures – People always say, "Man, the player, what a what a what a great you know what a great guy so and so is." It's like, no, 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 no. This is great for the player because he's getting that money now. You know, they're converting base salary into guaranteed signing bonus, and so now he's getting a a little check. So it's a good deal for him. But in McCaffrey's case, it makes a lot of sense because you could knock that number way down again, um, and even what you spread out over the next couple of years after this wouldn't be a ton, uh, so that it would be certainly palatable. And, and I think he's in their plans long-term anyway. So, and Charvarius Ward's another one that they could do if they wanted to, uh, you know, they, George Kittle, if they really, but again, Kittle, they've already done, they've already done Armstead, Trent Williams, big number, but how much longer is he going to want to play? So maybe a little bit less likely to me, the ones that make the most sense are Warner McCaffrey, Charvarius Ward. And then, you know, you can kind of go either way with Armstead, I suppose, if, if you want to look at it that way, but I don't think they're going to need to do all that. I'll put it like that. Well, another big one too, is Nick Bosa. Because his fifth year option, which he's on the board for, I'm looking at over the cap right now. Yeah. They're factoring the, you know, six million in cap space before the rollover. Part of that is Nick Bosa making seventeen point nine million dollars on that right. fifth year option. When he signs his extension, I'm guessing that number is going to be knocked down to like four or five million. And then the big cap hits will come in the in the following years, right? So they could potentially yeah. open up, say, 15 million in cap space this year by signing Nick Bosa to a new contract. Um, so that's something that, that we'll, we'll keep an eye on obviously too, but again, yeah, that's probably that's, not going to happen until like July. Right. And that's, and that's just it where like, yeah, they could try to do it now and say, yeah, we'd love to have the cap space, but I think they like to kind of do that as like, Oh, this is our going to give us a little cushion right going into the season. You know, we've seen it with Debo. We've seen it with Fred. Yeah. Moore, we've seen it with Kittle and they're always right up around. They're real close to the cap. And then they sign the guy, they knock that number down, and then all of a sudden they've got, you know, seven or eight million dollars that they can work with when they go through the season and they have injuries and all those kinds of things. So I think that's probably the more likely scenario. It doesn't sound like John Lynch is in a hurry to to get that thing done. I think all parties, uh, from my understanding, are very well aware it's going to take a little bit of patience, just like those other guys I just mentioned. Yeah. So without looking at um the the lengthy list of players the 49ers have met with at the combine, um, what <laughs> what do you think? What do you think the the top like two or three needs are going into the draft? Because for me, I look at 
I look at the interior of the defensive line. Um, I look at the offensive line and really any spot along the offensive line, I think they could use an infusion of talent, particularly tackle. Although, you know, we've seen Colton McKivitz play at, I don't know, average level starter at times, right? So maybe they feel really good about Colton McKivitz taking over for Mike McGlinchey. Um, you know, restricted where, where free agent, Colton McKivitz. Oh, restrict. Good call. Yeah. Good call. So, so, yeah. but so I, definitely in the trenches, um, you might need another edge rusher with Samson Ebukam and, and Charles Amena, whose future is uncertain. Um, did, am I missing any like substantial need? Maybe a linebacker? Like, where, what do you think the 49ers maybe, need to maybe, focus on? Maybe kicker. Um, you know, <laughs> wow. it, it, yeah, I mean, it, it is it is an important deal. Like, I, I think I talked about it last time I was on with you guys. Like, I think Kyle Shanahan looks at those three positions, kicker, punter, long snapper, as like, I don't want to have to think about these any more than maybe like 10 seconds total in the course of a year. And so, uh, if he if they get if they move on from Robbie Robbie Gold then like all of a sudden that might be something that becomes uh, an issue and becomes a priority that even you know a fourth or fifth round pick you know try to get the best guy in the draft but um, to answer your question I think if you look at the, the all the things that you just mentioned make a lot of sense I think as we go into free agency it's going to be really interesting to me to see if the 49ers decide to do what they did last year which I think is probably the most likely scenario which is they're going to have to sacrifice some players that they really like they know that they'd love to resign that they're not going to be able to uh, namely like the Mike McGlinchey's of the world Jimmy Ward most likely Aziz Alshire like those three guys are probably gone somewhere else for for big money contracts the trade-off is going to be do they then take that big bite of the apple like they did last year and what they did was they didn't just say, oh, it's this player. It was the player. They loved Charverius Ward, but it was a premium position. It was cornerback. We're going to invest at cornerback because we know we need to do that. And I think if you look at it this year, if, they're all, if they are going to make a move like that, I think the defensive line is the most likely place where that type of an investment happens because we know the value that they put on the defensive line. And – we obviously have seen them have to make tough decisions there, like trading to Forrest Buckner and things like that. But they've also made a lot of moves and invested a lot of resources there, and they need to replenish that. So start there. Assume, let's just assume for the sake of this discussion that they do make a big signing. And and I say big signing. I'm talking, you know, 12 to 14, 15 million dollars a year, something like that, not. 20 they're not going to go give up first round picks for Deron Payne as much as I'd like to have to continue to not care about the first round of the draft for the for the foreseeable future <laughs> that's not gonna that's not gonna happen but I do think that's probably a, a more likely scenario and then to answer you know to answer your question about the draft yeah I, I, for me invest in the lines just just invest and just keep pounding those I think they can find safety help they're gonna have to get a couple of safeties if they bring Tishon Gibson back, it buys him a little bit of time. Maybe they can find a developmental guy, kind of like Hufanga, where he he comes in for a year behind Tart and then takes over the following year. I think that would be an ideal scenario if they could find a free safety who could who could kind of fit that bill. Um, but those are the things. And, and, I, and I still think I would still like to see them. I've been kind of pounding the table. I know our guy Matt Barrows is with me on this. Find another tight end um, who can who can contribute and take some of the load off of of George Kittle a little bit. This is a supposedly a very good tight end draft. I can't say I've grinded the YouTube clips here yet on, on that, but, and I probably won't just to be completely honest, but um, <laughs> I, I, I think 
I think that is another position that maybe flies under the rare a little bit that, that you'd like to see him do it. And then obviously the quarterback is the whole, you know, it's just such an up in the air thing that it may determine the shape of all of that stuff I just talked about. So the 49ers have three third round picks and they look like they're all cons- compensatory. Um, they traded their fourth in the McCaffrey deal. Uh, they do have two in the fifth round, um, none in the sixth, and it looks like two in the seventh. So, and they'll get more, and they'll get more when the compensatories for players are are uh, revealed. That has. Oh yeah, yet. yeah, for this year's draft. Yeah, for this year's okay. draft. So okay. yeah, those have not been assigned yet. So I think they're expecting to have around ten picks, uh, grand total. Okay, so yeah, the third round. Yeah, I would go. I mean, you know, they they're gonna go best player available and and all that stuff. But like I and running I, and running back and running back. Yeah, maybe <laughs> maybe one of those fifth round picks. They'll they'll take a running back. You know what? Maybe they'll use a third round pick on a running back just to you know just to to make sure they don't deviate from their from their previous planning too much. Um, that's right. They're they are in in years that they've that this regime has used a, a run a pick a third round pick on a running back. They've gone to the NFC Championship both years. I'm just saying that's right. <laughs> right, right, right. Like to like I said, I think when the last time you were on, we can hem and haw about the 49ers' decision to trade up for Trey Lance. But two years removed from trading up to draft Trey Lance, they went to the <laughs> NFC Championship game twice in a row. I think it's both of those things. It's the drafting a running back in the third round and then trading up for Trey Lance. Um, Are there any guys on the team under contract who you wouldn't be surprised if the 49ers ended up moving on from at some point, either in the offseason or maybe like final cuts training camp time? Mm. It's a good question. This may or may not Uh, be a Javon Kinlaw question. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I'm, gl- I'm glad you pointed me in that direction. Um, yeah. I mean, he's, he's the name that would come to mind. You know, he's got a lot to prove still. Um, he obviously has not lived up to not only his draft status, but you know, even if you, even if you compare it to some other guys who maybe did live up to it, let's just use Solomon Thomas since they were both defensive linemen. Like Solomon Thomas was not what you would hope for with the number three pick in the draft. I think we would all agree with that, but he was a, he was a de- he was a solid rotation guy by the end of his time here. Again, not what you want, but better than nothing. And as of right now, I don't know that, that Javon Kinlaw is even a solid rotation guy. And 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 that's, you know, a lot of it not his own, not his fault. You know, he, he hasn't been healthy and hasn't had an opportunity to have an offseason where he's healthy. So, uh, but I think he'd probably be the first one to say this is a really important year for him, a really important offseason for him. Um, I know John Lynch was saying that he's been around the facility a lot. So, uh, yeah, where is he going to be? Can he... Because he's somebody who needs to play, and he, you know, he needs to, you know, pad level has been a conversation with him really from the moment he got drafted, and and John Lynch was even saying this week, you know, that's one of those things that like it's easy to talk about, but you got to do it over and over and over until it kind of becomes second nature to you. And so, can he stay on the field and practice enough to to even do that kind of stuff? So, yeah, it's a, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and try to predict predict whether he's going to make the team or not. I think you know, as we sit here right now, the Niners are still hoping he's their starter, um, but. There's a there's a lot of proving that still has to take place for him. Um, other other than him, I, I don't know. I don't know that there's anybody. They don't even have a lot of guys under contract right now. They don't have a lot of players under contract. So um, I don't I don't know that there's anybody obvious in that regard. Uh, otherwise, I'm just going through the list. Like Ty Davis Price, Ambry Thomas, 
I don't know. These yeah, are, Ambry, these are Ambry, guys. Ambry Thomas would be an Ambry Thomas would be another one. I think he needs to have a good a good off season. Um, it's it's really interesting if you go back and look at the career arcs of of Ambry Thomas and Diamador Lenore. Cornerbacks drafted in the same draft. Ambry Thomas was you know a third round pick. Diamador Lenore was a fifth round pick. Lenore was the one who like raced out to the to the quick start. Like everyone was impressed with him. And then they played that Green Bay game on Sunday night and. Every after that kind of tapered off, he fell off. Then Ambry Thomas entered the starting lineup and played pretty good. What like he wasn't good and real good at the beginning, but got better as he went along. He was starting as they got into the playoffs, made the interception in week 18 to seal the game and send him to the playoffs against the Rams. And then they go to an offseason and they come back. And Diablo Lenore has clearly elevated himself back to where he was before that. And Ambry Thomas hasn't taken any steps and maybe even took a couple of steps backwards. So I think, I think we're kind of in that situation where you're took it, talking about guys who it's all about what they do when they're not at the facility. Are they putting in the work? Are they doing the things that the 49ers asked them to do? I think Diamador Lenore has shown that he can do that. If he can keep building on that, he's obviously going to have a big role on this team. Ambry Thomas needs to kind of take that cue and take that next step on his own as well. Yeah, and that's, you know, you look at the guys the 49ers have really cashed out. Like, that's not at all a question with those guys, right? Like, maybe maybe Debo, but, like, Nick Bosa, who they're going to cash out, George Kittle, Fred Warner, Eric Armstead. Like, there are no questions in, in the front office's mind and the coaching staff's minds about, like, are these guys putting in the work in the offseason? Like, George Kittle especially, right? Like, early on in his career, he was coming back noticeably better each and every off season. And that's sort of the tone they want to set. So I'm always curious to see which guys that don't fall in line with that. I think Drake Jack- Jackson, huge yep. off season for him. Um, yep. Sam Womack. I think you could put yeah. into that category as well. There's an opportunity there for him. You yeah. know, another guy who started off hot and then kind of hit the wall and, and fell off and didn't play a whole lot. Um, yeah. Drake Jackson's a big one. John Lynch was talking about it this week that he's been around a lot as well. And he's, kind of understands the opportunity that is in front of him. Um, and that's a guy that only benefits from having a Nick Bulls on the other side, not only on the field, but in terms of this is what it looks like. That's what it's going to take. You know, it's hard to ask anyone to be Nick Bosa in terms of the work they put in off the field, but be a reasonable facsimile of it. And you're going to get, you're going to go far. Yeah. Um, all right. I think that's all I got, Nick. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Or me, actually, Kyle is uh, is definitely not working right now. But shouts to Kyle for for holding the fort down while I was gone on my uh, my little work excursion to the Midwest. Um, Nick, we will talk to you very soon. I'm sure we know how much you love coming on this podcast. We have a hell of a time keeping you off of it. So um, we will make that happen at some point again in the near future. Yeah, uh, I look ch- forward to the, ne- the next time you guys have a scheduling conflict. I'm sure I'll be I'll be at your beck and call. Uh, check out Nick Wagner at ESPN. You might have heard of it. He'll hop on Sports Center every now and again, also. Um, decent little program. And we will uh, talk to you guys probably next week. Enjoy the combine. Enjoy the 10 yard splits and the 40s and the arm lengths. We all know that stuff is super important. So we will talk to you guys next week.